When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times in England with the first team to reach the quarterfinals. So it's already a big step up from four years ago. But did they show enough against Argentina to be considered genuine contenders for the big prize? How much has another win for Japan put the pressure on Scotland and Ireland? And after the longest break between matches in World Cup history, are Wales really ready to face Fiji and finish top of Pool D? I'm Lawrence Delalio and joining me from Japan are Owen Slott, Stephen Jones and Alex Lowe. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you all? You fit the wall, I think. Would you say, Sotty? <laughs> no, well, I've hit five walls this week alone. Uh, Alex is about to go to the gym, so he'll be jumping over it in a minute. I'm on, I'm on hump day today. Four weeks, I've got four weeks to go. Anyway, we're okay. I'll, I'll, I'll revive. I'll revive. So, gents, let's get straight into it. England, Argentina. I mean, obviously, everyone said that we wouldn't find out enough about England until they played someone who was any good. I suppose we could still say that, really. But uh, did England show enough to suggest that they can really challenge at the sharp end? Alex, I mean, you've probably been as close to the England team as anyone here. I think we all, we all built the game up as being England's first big test of the tournament. And, and, and it wasn't. And we're still waiting on England's first big test of the tournament. The Pumas aren't as good as they have been. And as soon as they went down to 14 men, it was over as a contest. And actually, England were able to, to win it at a canter. So, no, we didn't see enough to suggest they can win the World Cup, partly because it didn't require anything like that level of, of performance. I still think they'll be frustrated with, with elements of it, but it, it felt to me like watching it, like from, from when Lavanini was sent off, they effectively wrapped the game up at half-time. They treated the second half like an opposed training run, really. They brought on the bench earlier than, than they probably w- would have done if it had been a, a tight game, I think. And, and it went flat for a while. It was only really Jack Noll coming on at the end and kind of seemed to liven things up a bit. So it went flat too long I thought in the second half but but much of that is probably because it didn't need to they weren't under any pressure to make it any more intense yeah um, we, I mean we can't really blame England for the red card and, and and for having to go down to well Argentina having to go down to 14 men but Jonesy looking at the detail in the game I mean I, I sort of picked out a couple of things really the the box kicking wasn't great and was, is going to need to get better against superior opponents. I don't know. I mean, in terms of the substitutions that Eddie Jones made, do you think he could have introduced some of those names that we haven't seen a bit earlier on in the game? Because it, it was kind of won by half time, really. It was, Lawrence. Just, just one thing. Um, you know, we, we are tolerating England having a. I totally agree with Alex's uh, summary, but we are tolerating England doing something that, for instance, the All Blacks wouldn't have ever have done. 
They play Namibia. Uh, they had a ferocious half-time tongue lashing from Steve Hansen, and they tried to score as many points as they possibly could. And that is a different in, difference in attitude. Box kicking, Lawrence, I totally agree. Ben Youngs is a great bloke, but his box kicking has never been international class. And there was a time in the first half where four kicks either went way too long or almost straight up in the air. And again, I think it should have been a little bit more inventive, as you say, with with replacements. Well, well I just felt so, I just felt they could have had a rule that if a man sent off, you're not allowed to kick the ball away anymore. Because as far as I can work out, if you're 14 against 15, or the other way round, you really should hold on to the ball to make that numerical advantage count. Thing is, Lawrence, with, with Youngs in that um, box, as you say, he's not very good, and you say, oh, well, hopefully it'll get better, but. You know, Ben Youngs has, has now won 90, 197 caps or something. He's the, the third most captain player. Is his box kicking, which is inconsistent, going to suddenly be better? Yeah, England have, have built their entire game plan around hitting it exactly where it needs to go. And, and sometimes he does. And, and on, on Saturday, he certainly didn't. And, and Owen, you know, readers would have woken up to your piece in The Times this morning. Farrell looks wasteful and ponderous after moving aside for Ford. I mean, obviously, you know, you've yet to meet Colleen Farrell, mother of Owen. I'm sure you will at some point after that headline. Did he not just look ponderous and, and wasteful because he got a bang on the head in the first half and missed four kicks at goal and probably should have come off for an HIA? Colleen's not going to touch you then, is he? <laughs> <laughs> She's already made my, her thoughts very clear to me when, when I gave him what four on the TV, I think. Some of us used to make, meet your dear mother lol around the place, and that was that Colin couldn't possibly be worse than that. <laughs> well, very true, very true. But no, yeah, and, I mean, all, in all honesty, Owen, are you suggesting that Eddie Jones has made up his mind and the difficulty is now making sure that Farrell has enough input in the game? Yeah, I don't think Eddie's ever going to not have Owen Farrell in his team. Uh, that would be an extraordinary decision. He's, you know, he's his captain. He's based everything around it. So that's not going to change. And I think um, Farrell will come back into form because he very rarely has two bad games in a row. The whole thing about was he concussed or not, we just can't tell. And, and you know, the, the medics didn't think that he was. So we're just going away with this with this rather unsatisfactory conclusion. You know, did he actually have a really average game or, or, or should, he, yeah. should he have gone off on HIA? Uh, and Alex, looking ahead to this game against France, which is obviously going to decide... Um, you know, who finishes top of the pool and, and then who they play in the quarterfinals. Has Eddie Jones learned enough about from that game in Argentina to to change his selection? I mean, some people are suggesting maybe to do what the football manager did and and, uh, and make a lot of changes to that final pool match. Well, I mean, Eddie suggested it himself after the game and, and the parallel with, with how the England football team managed things in, in Russia is really clear that this game, England already through to the quarterfinal, the route... To, to the final, if they finish second, looks easier. Statistically, it's definitely easier. We, we ran some numbers um, on, on Friday last week and, and the, their percentage chance of winning the World Cup is higher if they finish second in the group simply because they avoid New Zealand through to the final. Eddie Jones will be fully aware of all of those permutations. There's also an element of... I mean, Billy Bunapola's hurt his ankle, so he's unlikely to play. I think he's unlikely to play anyway. We saw Neil Hatley today who made a made the point that if England need players later on in the tournament, they don't want to be coming to, to back up players who haven't played for five weeks, which just backed up Eddie Jones's point that while he's definitely not going into the game with any intention of losing it and, and, and throwing the game, changes are strategic as part of England's plan through to the final. And I think it's, he's got a free hit at this game because they want to win it. And if they win it, they'll, they'll be top of the top of the pool. And he'll have given 
some of his bench players and potentially a couple on the fringe a run out. But if they lose it, they know that actually that they'll play Wales in in the quarter final. They'll, they'll believe they can win that, and then and then South Africa rather than Australia in the quarter final, and then the All Blacks. And talking about a free hit, I mean the French were their usual selves, I, I guess, against Tonga. Um, it's probably what we've come to expect now from this French team. But it must be said that they have made it through to the quarterfinals, albeit in uh, in, a, in a pool where. The, the opponents, other than England, probably didn't offer that much resistance. But, uh, you know, what what do we think here? I mean, they've got brilliant players, clearly, but they do look a bit clueless out on the rugby field. And, Jonesy, you know, how, how do you assess France at the moment? Well, first of all, Lawrence, today has come the most predictable news of the whole tournament, that there's apparently great dissent in the French camp with the captain and coach. At, at loggerheads, etc. No, that happens at every World Cup. That sounds dangerous. Um, sounds dangerous to well, me. It does them any good, I don't know. You said they've got great players. They've got some great players. They've got some huge lumps up front whose work rate, in my opinion, is very, very poor. They've got a, a couple of nice backs, but they seem to be playing in about five or six different styles. It's very, very, very difficult to ascertain what they're doing. On the other hand, they're not a great side, but they are, to a certain extent, dangerous. And I think what Alex said is I agree with, but if Eddie Jones is doing anything remotely that smacks of uh, a jockey pulling his horse or something like that or, 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 or slow playing, then he will stand condemned of completely wrecking the whole idea of a World Cup. France yeah. are that good, or if they're potentially that good, then we could have a really big controversy on Saturday. Gareth Southgate was accused in, in some quarters of doing exactly that in Russia last year. And, and in that ball game, if, if you remember... Both England and Belgium fielded their their second team, and, and England were just were just better at losing, and and ended up going down one nil, and we're on on the better side of the draw, and and they're char- they're in the same situation. Their chances of winning that tournament were better if they finished second. You look at France, Alex, as well, though, and and, and I mean they'll be thinking themselves: would they would they rather play, you know, Wales <laughs> in a uh, in a quarter final, or would they rather play Australia? And I mean, I have to say, if I was England, just picking up on on Jonesy's point around their type five. You'd want to go out in this match as hard and as fast as you possibly can right from the start, because if you do that against the French, you know you do believe that the um, you know come the second half you get your rewards because I, I don't see how their their big forwards are fit enough to play at international level. But Lawrence, as as an England player, can you see the smartness in, in trying to put box clever with your team, or, or do you think that Eddie's are under a sort of moral obligation to play what is always pretty much his, his first-choice team. Does he not need to pick close to a first-choice team? Because they still haven't had a proper game and they need a proper game. Yeah, listen, quite right too. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more that it's a, the World Cup's about your next game. And, you know, yes, England have got tough games ahead, but they, he's got to put a strong enough side out to, to not just, you know, beat France, but beat them well and, and actually make a statement to some of these other teams, particularly New Zealand, South Africa and Wales that England are very capable of of winning this World Cup. So I, I would go with a, with a very strong side. But but I do understand the the fact that if they do win this game, which they will, they then play you know potentially uh, three enormous knockout games. So uh, a little bit of balance. Nothing wrong with not having Billy in the team. But I'd like to see England as strong as possible myself. But how do you how do you go to a World Cup without playing three hard knockout games? 
England in 2003, we played our biggest pool game second match. And then, you know, there was the ability to juggle rest. And of course, by the time we got to the quarterfinals, we, we were the you know, full bore for, the, for all three games. But, uh, you know, with England, it, it's worked out slightly differently because of Argentina, France being backloaded towards the end of the pool. And, uh, you know, but you should still be able to go four or five games on the spin with your best team. I mean, you're at a World Cup, you know, you're playing for big stakes and you don't want to be left out of big games. Well, what if um, it should happen that France, who were hopeless, beat England? How big a motivation would it be that for Wales, for Warren Gatlin to say, lads, England were desperate to play you because they thought they could beat you? And that's interesting, isn't it? But I mean, uh, if France beat England, it would confirm what normally happens is that you can't lose a World, uh, World Cup pool match and go on and win the World Cup. You know, it's, I think it's, it's very, very hard to do that. No one's done it yet. Uh, I just think it creates doubt in the camp and if they were beaten by France it would, it would create serious doubt what do you think Mrs Farrell would make of that Lawrence <laughs> you wait till you bump into her Owen <laughs> trust me <laughs> <laughs> we really will can we get her on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> okay so what did the Namibia game tell us about the All Blacks well they weren't their usual selves certainly for the first half an hour and you've got to give enormous credit to Namibia but they still ran in 11 tries and uh, we saw a wonderful one of those from uh, TJ Perinara, which will probably be up there as try of the tournament. But, uh, Jonesy, give us your assessment of the All Blacks. Jonesy, you didn't even go to the game. No, I didn't. Slotty was there. Yeah, yeah. man on the ground. Owen, give us your assessment of the All Blacks. I thought the, um, the, the All Blacks were even worse than Owen Farrell for the first 35 minutes. And I thought I could deal with all their mums at the same time. But I, I just think it, I, I actually just think it's irrelevant. They weren't very good for 35 minutes. They lost their normal structure and they tried to sort of um, have one-up runners with fancy sidesteps. And Namibia, thankfully, mm-hmm. good enough to, to, to stop that. Namibia's defence structure is pretty good. That made it a really good game. There was, uh, it was 10-9 to New Zealand after 35 minutes, but then um, then the All Blacks said, all right, got their heads around it, and, and they just blew them away. And, and there were some quite entertaining tries as well. But how good the Tier 1 countries are in, in absolutely smashing the um, the also-rans is, is pretty irrelevant to the bigger picture. Well, talking of uh, Tier 1 countries, Argentina and Italy have probably been the two most disappointing performers in this World Cup. They're, they're going backwards at a rate of knots, and... Obviously, with my Italian heritage, um, uh, you know, that, I don't say that with any with any great pleasure with, when it comes to Italy. But I mean, their stupidity against South Africa at seventeen points to three with a penalty in front of the sticks, and then to have one red card, which probably should have been two red cards, both have been cited and banned. Jonesy, Alex, Conor O'Shea potentially leaving now. I mean, surely the next guy who comes in there has just got to get them playing a bit better. I mean, they've just been so bad. They have, and, and and the conversation of, of about Italy and, and tier one, tier two nations comes to a head every, really every four years at a World Cup, and, and you see what what they have brought to to this tournament, having played in the Six Nations since every year since the last World Cup, compared with with some of the, the joyous scenes we see Japan delivering here, and actually as as some of the Pacific Island teams grow into the tournament, Tonga against against France, the more the more time these teams spend together, the better they look. Italy are together all the time under a, a centralised system and, and, and they're not progressing. And, and that is a, that's a real concern for Italian rugby. Um, and actually, when you, when you get to a World Cup like this and you, and you get to see the, the colour and, 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 and the passion of, of the other Tier 2 nations and, and really how they can come together in, in, in a much shorter space of time and, and start delivering performances, it really 
kind of focuses the mind on on what the, the next step should be because World Rugby were, were pushing for the Nations League. They wanted to give an avenue for the Tier One, the Tier Two nations to try and play and get more money and, and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, it, it fell because teams like Italy that cannot risk getting relegated from the Six Nations. But you know, Japan are here as as incredible hosts and playing some of the most entertaining, interesting, attractive rugby uh, of any of the of any of the teams here. And it needs the, the games to, to take a much more global look at the Tier Two nations versus those who are nominally Tier One but actually aren't really delivering. And I, and I would include Scotland in that as well. Jonesy, you might know the answer to this question. Someone asked me, how do you define Tier 1 and Tier 2 nations? Because they were looking at Argentina and Italy and saying that they couldn't define it. Lawrence, there is, but it's bogus. And I, and I think this World Cup should be the last time we talk of rugby in tiers. Everyone is, is equal till proved otherwise. Everyone should be funded equally. To, to put someone in Tier 2, is an excuse by the tier one unions not to give them proper funding and to keep all the money for themselves. Full stop. Let's have no more tiers. After, uh, uh, that's T I E R S uh, at the end of this tournament, and then we maybe get we'll get somewhere in world rugby. I mean, South Africa, Canada. We can't see any anything other than a, a huge victory for the uh, Springboks and. And they'll take their place as runners-up to New Zealand in that pool. You rewind it to '91. Canada were a strong team back then, weren't they? Canada actually inflicted on Namibia a huge defeat back in '99. God, I know my stats, don't I? <laughs> um, and Namibia now uh, targeting their game against Canada at the end of the week as their first ever victory in World Cup after 22 consecutive defeats. So Canada have gone backwards at the rate of knots, and that's um, that's a, that's a real shame. But uh, no, that's. That's just one of the facts of life in this World Cup. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It feels like weeks since we last saw Wales in action, and that's because it is. With 11 days between the win (laughs) against the Wallabies and the fixture against Fiji, Warren Gatland's squad should be, well, well well-rested. Maybe a little bit of rust. Who knows? Joining us is uh, the Times Welsh rugby correspondent, Steve James. Jamo, how are you? Yeah, fine, excellent. Yeah, really good, very good. I mean, it's uh, Wales produced, I think, the, you know, the match of the tournament against the Wallabies, arguably. And uh, it's been yeah. so long since we've, we've heard from, from him or them. It feels like Fiji have played twice since that match, really. Do, do you think we, <laughs> we, can, we can see anything other than a, a Wales win? Warren Gatlin's picked a very, very strong side because he wants, obviously, to top... Pool D, are you comfortable with that yeah. selection? Yeah, I've, I've just been to the press conference today, actually. I mean, slightly interesting selection. He's made two changes in the back row, hasn't he? He's rested Justin Tipperick, who apparently is 100% fit. And he's also put Aaron Wainwright on the bench. So he's brought in James Davis on the open side. Mar- Ross Marios is going to play at eight. And then Josh Nabidi go to six. Tipperick, I think, if you were looking at a player of the tournament so far, he'd be up there, wouldn't he? I mean, he was brilliant against Georgia and, and against Australia. I, I think maybe Gatlin's just looking ahead to Uruguay on Sunday. It's a short turnaround. He's obviously going to pick not quite a totally different side, but, you know, there'll probably be 12 or 13 changes. I think he just wants 
a bit of experience in that team and it looks as if Tipperick might captain that team. On the flip side, he wants to give James Davis some, some game time against the against the big side. But as you say, Lawrence, apart from that, it's a yeah. it's a full strength side and, and you'd expect Wales to win that game. I mean, everybody always hark back to the 2007 game when they lost, but Wales have played them at the last two World Cups and beat them fairly comfortably in both those games. If you're a first choice player and, and this is a big game for Wales, yep. you want you want your best team out yep. there. And the reason you bring the rest of your squad yep. is to play in games like, like Uruguay. Yep. Simple as that. You don't want other people quietly accumulating caps when they should be yours. It is an interesting one. I think it took everyone by surprise. Nobody expected that. There was a great line from uh, James Davis, who, as you probably all know, is a, is a bit of a character. Gatlin told him he was playing, and apparently James Davis said to him, oh, you've seen the light at last. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> Looking at, uh, at Warren you know, Gatland, and he, I mean, he doesn't often get selections wrong, and he's not afraid to, to make big calls but do you think he, he's bothered whether he plays Australia or England in the quarterfinals? He's just sort of treating it game by game, really. And he's doing just what Eddie Jones is not doing, Lawrence. We've spoken before Jamo came on. Wales have fielded their top side quite right. And it was, as I expected, even though Steve's nearer the camp than me, Fiji have fielded their top team. They got Bill Matter back quite right. It is a World Cup. It's not something to mess around with. You get out there, one top team against top team. And I can tell you that one place I don't agree with the triple centurion, Steve James, is when you see the likes of Rudradra, uh, Botia, uh, uh, their back rowers, this guy Mata, uh, Nakarawa, I think Wales have it all to do. And I think the first hour will be really tight. Fiji are going to give this the kitchen sink. And what they, they, they've got what they didn't have before, not even in 07. And that is a reasonably strong pack. This is a flat-out game, and it is no messing around. It is what should happen at this stage of the World Cup. I tell you what I think is interesting is that Wales seem to be starting games very, very well at the moment, which is not something they've necessarily done before. They've always tried to use their fitness and then then try and come strong in the last 20 minutes. But if you notice, the Ireland game at the end of the end of the Grand Slam, then the Georgia game, then the Australia game. They started very well and started very quickly, which is like the, the polar opposite of how they, they've tried to play games before. I mean, if you go back to that England Grand Slam game, I mean, it was only in the last 20 minutes when they sort of got got themselves together, really. Um, and Gatlin mentioned that today, and he, he said, you know, Fiji will come hard at us in those first 20 minutes to a half hour. But he said, we're going to be ready. We're going to try and come out the blocks as quickly as we have in the other games. Yeah, and I suppose with, a, with an 11-day turnaround, which is uh, highly unusual in the, in the, in the, yeah. in the modern game, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, he probably wants to play with players who, um, you know, have already seen some World Cup action. Yeah, I think they had like three or four days off as well, which is, you know, you don't often get that chance in a, in a World Cup campaign. Do you? So I think they rested up and now I think they've had a couple of very tough training sessions and the impression I've got of this Wales camp throughout this tournament is just they're so relaxed. I've never seen a Wales camp so so relaxed. Just you know, just around the team hotel and stuff, all the players, all the management. It just seems to be really relaxed there about everything they're doing. They, they seem so confident and, and so assured about everything they're they're doing. And, and you know, they still are flying under the radar a bit, aren't they? Really. I mean, I know they were brilliant against Australia, but. You know, all the talkies of England, the All Blacks, South Africa, and, and, and Wales are still flying under the radar, and I think they enjoy that. Well, I think they're a vastly experienced group, both as a coaching team and, and a playing team. They're very comfortable, yeah. you know, living and, yeah. and, and being around each other, I guess. And, and they know the difference between a big game and another test match. Um, 
and they know how to sort of prepare yeah. themselves accordingly, I guess. The great thing about the Australia game was they obviously played brilliantly in the first half. You know, probably as good the first half as, as we've seen from Wales, you know, under Gatland probably. Um, but, you know, the, the last 10 minutes, the way they managed, managed the, those times, you know, so many times in the past they, they would have lost that game. And, you know, that's exactly what happened against Australia when they lost like 13 times on, on the trot, wasn't it? But when you watch that back, they were, they were quite cute and quite professional. You know a lot about that, Lawrence. You know, in the last... Ten minutes. Some of, some of the things they were doing, I thought they they were very clever in managing that. You know those those dying minutes of that game. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think the the performance of of Reece Patchell, particularly in that uh, in that last ten or fifteen minutes, was uh, a real plus for them. Talking about the opponents there, Australia, yeah. Slotty, they were far from perfect, really, against Uruguay, despite the the scoreline. And it seems to me that Michael Check has sort of backed himself into a position with it, with his selection. And uh, and his attitude really, and and uh, his attitude off the field reflects what the players are actually doing on the field. Would you would you agree with that? I think Michael Checker's has pretty successfully nailed down the role as World Cup number one pantomime villain. I think most people are pretty sick and tired of hearing from him, to be honest with you. So, kind of, he needs his his team to step up and take the limelight for a bit and play some decent rugby, which they certainly did against Wales. He's chopped and changed his half backs too much, which I think is really strange from Checker. They didn't look very good against Uruguay, but I've already already said the All Blacks having a dull first half against Namibia didn't really count for anything. So I don't really think that counts for anything either. England could very well finish in the quarterfinal against Australia. And, and I think just assuming that because Australia have been a bit ho-hum doesn't really count for a lot. I think they showed a lot against Wales and they could well rise up. And if England aren't very near their best, then, then they would lose that game. And Steve, before we say goodbye, I mean, this, this game for Wales on Wednesday, other than no injuries and, and another big Wales win, you know, what, what do you think Warren and the coaches are looking for in, in, in this match? I think they might quite like a, a bonus point with, um, with that typhoon coming in this weekend. I mean, that, that, that could hit the Wales game as well on Sunday. So if they, if they, only, if they get a bonus point on, uh, on Wednesday, then they'll definitely top the pool, even if that game was was called off. Um, yeah, as I said, I think they'll want to start well and you know they'll, they'll, they'll try and get that bonus. But I take Jones's point, you know, it won't be easy and Fiji can play can play some, some brilliant stuff. But um, I think they'll be looking to defend a bit better than they have. That's obviously the sort of bedrock of their side. And, um, and Gatlin was talking about that today, that they, they haven't been happy with their defence, especially in that second half against Australia. So they'll be looking to, to shore that up. But yeah, as I said earlier, I, you know, I expect a, a relatively comfortable Wales victory. Jamo, thanks for taking time to join us. We'll, uh, we'll catch up with you later in the week. Thank you. Host Japan have matched their 2015 record of three pool wins with a game to spare. But back then, it wasn't enough to reach the quarterfinals. But what about this time? And where does it leave Ireland and Scotland? Well, gentlemen, I mean, Japan, we know, have just been a breath of fresh air, haven't they, in this competition so far? And that bonus point at the end of the game against Samoa is really, really crucial in the makeup and the final makeup of this pool. Jonesy, Scotland, it's just huge now, isn't it? I mean, they've got to get a bonus point win themselves before they even think about anything more than that. Yes, they have. What I do admire about them, though, is that after that absolute disaster of the first game when everyone was sort of almost booking tickets on there and then, they've gradually inched themselves back, Lawrence. Gradually, try by try, game by game, uh, and and now they, they seem to be better. They're carrying themselves better. They're talking better. And they're gradually trying to get their way back in. Now, Russia are a tough bunch, as we all know. Every team that's come up against Russia have said they're a tough bunch. Let's not guarantee Scotland four 
uh, tries and a bonus point win there yet. That's just they're going to have to work for it, and maybe they only get it with 10 minutes to go. We, we don't know. That is vital. And then one thing they must not do, and that is underrate Japan. Now, you think, hang on, what do you mean underrate Japan? We're flying. I think people think that Japan have still got a softish underbelly. They have not. They do not have it. They are a much better team, for instance, than they were four years ago when they beat South Africa. They are genuine contenders. And if Scotland have to go into that game with needing a bonus point and stopping Japan getting a bonus point, that will be one of the hardest tasks they could possibly have. Well, of course, Scotland were, I mean, I was there. Scotland were the only team to beat Japan four years ago when they met them at King's Home. And, and that was four days after the you know, wondrous miracle of Brighton. Um, so they, they certainly won't be underestimating. That was a tough game at King's Home back then. And as you say, Jonesy, they are so, so much better now, four, you know, four years on. But I guess, Owen, Scotland can't even think about that match just yet. They've got to just deal with the, the obstacle that is, uh, that is Russia right now and, and make sure that they, they continue to improve so that they go into that game against the Japanese as confident as they possibly can be. I think they'll beat Russia fair enough. What I like about that Japan game that will come next will be the psychology's change. In, in, in Japan so far, have been doing giant killing things and surprising people. They've just been the underdogs. That's almost switched around now. It, now the pressure is on Japan. Now they have to deliver it. It's, it, it, it's almost as if Scotland are the underdogs and they're trying to overthrow the host. It's, it's, to, it's totally changed. And, and, and that's why it's fascinating because Japan have never been expected to win one of these games before. And, and now everyone expects them to. I agree with that, Sophie. Oh, I love it when you agree with me. <laughs> and Scotland, uh, not so good maybe when they are favourites. So so let's see. But, I mean, there's loads of Scots out here, Lauren. They, they've got a good, hard side and they've not seen the best. We've not seen the best of them. But, you know, we wish Japan well, but also we wish Scotland well. It'll be a great game. Well, not really. Two, oh, I do. Two great rugby countries. And I just think it's, it, it, it is a classic matchup. We're talking about great rugby countries, Ireland's performance against, of course, Scotland's next opponents, Russia. I mean, I picked up the, the papers in Ireland. You, you never have you seen so much pessimism and they're, they're on such a downer about their team at the moment, um, having been literally on top of the world only about 12 months ago. And do you think that that kind of pessimism has forced its way actually into the, into the team itself? Because, uh, I mean, what can we take from their performance against Russia? They've still got people like Henshaw who played no part in the, in this World Cup, you know. They sadly missed Jack Conan, who went home because their back row is absolutely one pace, Lawrence. And I think um, their carriers are, are, are really a degree down. So they are not the team they were. And I think every match from now on for Ireland will be a struggle. I'm not saying they're going to be ejected, but my goodness, they're under pressure now for their quarterfinal place. Still narrow favourites, but they really are going to have to find another gear in the team and, and recall some of their great years because otherwise it is going to be another disappointing World Cup for them. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, I guess it's a rebuild really over the next two games. They play uh, Samoa on Saturday uh, and if they were to get a, a bonus point win, it would take them up to uh, 16 points maximum in the group and then they're, they're relying on their, on their Scottish cousins to do them a favour. So they'll just, they'll just focus on themselves, I, I would imagine. Um, but Owen, they've still got what it takes to uh, to get themselves to a quarter final, and then I guess a bit like Australia, they just have to produce their very best when it matters most. I don't think they've got it anymore, to be honest. I'd love, you know, it'd be great fun if I was proven wrong and they played New Zealand and and and, and knocked them out. I mean, that would be hilarious, wouldn't it? But I just think that they've their their run of form that they've been rumbling along 
are underperforming for too long. I think that their confidence isn't great. Sexton and Murray, they're not on a roll like they were in, in 2018. I see only one outcome of this particular World Cup narrative, and it's a quarterfinal against South Africa or New Zealand, then the first plane home. Where all these other pools have got so much more predictability about them, New Zealand, South Africa, England, France already qualified, Australia and Wales pretty much certain of qualifying. I guess that the, the beauty of Pool A is it really is going to go down to the wire on Sunday. I'm trying to think, Lawrence, if there's been a more exciting match or climax to a pool stage in the World Cup. And, and Jones, has been to about 10 more World Cups than me than he'd know. But that game on Sunday, Japan-Scotland, it just towers over this tournament. Well, it does. And, yeah. and, and the fact that it's the host, Jonesy, as well. I mean, you know, it's, it's just wonderful, really. It is wonderful. And what a start to the week it will be. Sunday, we get this absolute epic. Monday, we get the arrival of the typhoon. Typhoon Delalio at Tokyo <laughs> Airport. When that happens, everything will be laid waste. <laughs> Well, I better get myself prepared, I should think. My thanks to Owen Slot, Stephen Jones, and, of course, Steve James and Alex Lowe. The Ruck returns on Thursday when we look forward to the final fixtures in the pool stages of the 2019 Rugby World Cup. Never miss an episode. Subscribe now through Acast, iTunes, or your favourite podcast provider. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.